This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Happy weekend, Michigan political junkies. The usual amount of turbulence, chaos, controversy in Lansing this week. Uh, Maybe not as much as usual, but I'll just run down the list. First of all, legislature did do something really positive. They uh, approved $15 million in emergency aid, disaster relief for Michigan farmers in the wake of one of the wettest Springs in memory, maybe a century. Many farmers have been able, unable to get their crops planted in the ground. So heavy bipartisan support, Democratic and Republican, overwhelm majorities pass both chambers. Secondly, Dana Nessel, Attorney General, issued an opinion saying the opinion of her predecessor, Bill Schuette, on the issue of LGBTQ rights under the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act is inoperative. Uh, she said, just don't pay any attention to what Bill Schuette said. Michigan Civil Rights Commission, you can decide whether you want to move forward and try and enforce some rights for LGBTQ people um, under the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act. Uh, Next, five employees who had the charges against them withdrawn by the state last week in the Flint water crisis have been asked to return to work if you want to. It's like nothing has happened the last two years. Uh, Maybe $30 million spent in attorney fees prosecuting these people and others um, all out the window, and we'll see whether the attorney general moves ahead on anything else coming up. Uh, There are more candidates who are looking at running against Justin Amash, the incumbent Republican congressman in the 3rd Congressional District, who has drawn a lot of fire over the last 10 years and most recently because of his comments that he thinks the House ought to move forward at the federal level in Washington uh, with Charges uh, possibly uh, ensuing on impeachment against President Donald Trump. So four Democrats have said they may get in the race. Three more Republicans in addition to the two that were mentioned before. So we we could have like nine candidates running in both parties' primaries in August of next year. We'll see. Benton Harbor Schools, uh, the governor said she would give the school system in Benton Harbor a week to come up with a plan to forestall the states forcing the closure of the Benton Harbor High School. But last Friday came and went, and all Benton Harbor and its uh, community leaders and school leaders did was protest uh, against the governor's contention that the only way to get Benton Harbor out of its $18 million Fiscal morass is to, for starters, close the high school. Um, And they didn't really come up with anything as a substitute plan, but they said they're working on it. So the governor, Blink, kicked the can down the road and said, 
okay, we'll continue to negotiate, and let's see if we can come to some kind of resolution. Um, In the state Senate, the Republican majority is still trying to come up with more money uh, to fix the damn roads. Uh, As everybody knows, Governor Whitmer has asked for a 45-cent per gallon increase in the gasoline tax uh, to raise $2.5 billion uh, this year and every year for the next 10 years. And the majority Republicans in the legislature said, we're not going there. Nobody wants that. Uh, The public is overwhelmingly opposed to it. No Democrat has come forward with a plan. So the Republicans are trying to scramble for money where they can come up with maybe half as much as Governor Whitmer is proposing. And uh, they're now looking at securitization. Recognize that phrase? Remember when the tobacco settlement money uh, from 20 years ago was securitized by the state, meaning uh, we'll take a big chunk of change up front from this settlement in return for not getting the whole amount of whatever was due us because of the tobacco settlement in the long run. We'll just take a big chunk up front to tide us over. So they're looking at that. They're looking at postponing paying down the state's debt, which Governor Snyder hoped would be done by 2038, and the Senate Republicans are saying, well, maybe it doesn't have to be done by 2038. Maybe it can be done by 2045 or 2050. But here's the big thing that happened this week I thought was most interesting. House Democrats presented a road funding plan that does not include a gasoline tax increase. Now, Governor Whitmer, as I just stated, obviously has floated her proposal for a 45-cent-per-gallon increase in the gas tax, but this plan does not include that. Instead, uh, it would raise corporate taxes. It would focus on heavy trucks, uh, and uh, they're a little spongy on how much it would actually raise, but best estimates are so far it would raise $1.2 billion. Well, that's half roughly, of what the governor is asking for. So it looks to me like both the Republicans in the House and Senate and the Democrats in the House are saying, we will raise half of what you want, governor, but we want to do it in different ways. The Republicans are doing things like saying all the money collected from gas taxes at the pump should go in to fix the damn roads and nothing else. And they're moving some other pieces of the budget around to come up with the $1 billion or $1.2 billion. But the Democrats are saying, no, uh, we want to raise the corporate income tax by 2.5 percentage points to 8.5%. We'll implement a flow-through parity tax of 4.25%. And by the way, we will repeal the pension tax. That has nothing to do with fix the damn roads. But it's a very unpopular tax in many quarters, and a lot of Republicans in the House and Senate would like to get rid of it. It was the brainstorm of previous Governor Rick Snyder, who got the legislature in 2011 to reluctantly go along with it. But there's been a lot of outcry since that it ought to be repealed. Uh, Furthermore, the House Democratic plan would charge heavy trucks 
26,000 pounds or more, six cents per mile for each mile traveled, and it would create a Rhode Island-style bridge roll bridge toll program for trucks. Uh, Rhode Island has begun uh, tolling heavy trucks, meaning forcing heavy trucks to pay tolls to pay for the reconstruction of bridges. So the bills have been submitted for introduction. I don't think they've actually been formally introduced yet, but I'll just uh, quote from House Minority Leader Christine Gregg. Uh, She's a Democrat of Farmington Hills. She says, quote, they want everyone to pay their fair share for the infrastructure we all use. These are the citizens of Michigan after a bunch of hearings that the Democrats held. They want accountability for those that cause the most damage to our roads. They want businesses that benefit from good roads to contribute directly to repairs. They want immediate practical solutions that do not just get the repair process started, but finally truly fix our roads to last. Finally, the citizens of Michigan want to see the practice of stealing from schools to patch up the problem put to an end. So Mrs. Gregg and uh, Representative John Hoadley, a Democrat of Kalamazoo, and uh, the House Minority Floor Leader Yusuf Rabi and Representative Tim Sneller are introducing four bills to do that. It's the first time the Democrats have come up with anything in the legislature other than their own governor's plan. We'll be back in a minute with our first guest on the subject of the Flint water crisis. This is MTN. And you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back with a very distinguished guest, James K. Haveman. Jim Haveman uh, continues to have a distinguished history of public service management and volunteer work. Uh, He is currently president of the consulting firm, The Haveman Group, and he's a board member of many prestigious organizations, including finance chair of the Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan's Foundation Board, uh, president of Cornerstone Foundation, a trustee for Northern Michigan University. Uh, for years, he was the executive director of Bethany Christian Services, which is the largest child welfare and adoptive agency in the United States. But in the state capital of Lansing, he's best known as the longest-serving state health director in the history of Michigan. Uh, He was appointed on uh, September 1st, 2012. That was not quite two years into Governor Rick Snyder's first term by Governor Snyder as the director of the Michigan Department of Community Health. Uh, He retired from that position uh, just over two years later. But more importantly, perhaps, Previously, he had served in this position from 1996 to 2003, and he was also, before that, Director of Mental Health in Michigan from 1991 to 96, all 12 of those years in either mental health or community health. uh, He was appointed by Governor John Engler, 12 years plus the two by Rick Snyder, 14 years altogether, no 
health director in Michigan history ever has served that long. Welcome to the Political Insider, Jim Haveman. Well, it's a joy to be here, Bill. And uh, boy, I tell you, that, that little bio gave me a little deja vu, you know? <laughs> well, you've got a lot to deja vu, I'll say that. <laughs> Uh, let, let me just start out with just a very general question. You have watched over the last couple of years the uh, unfolding uh, litigation uh, in the city of Flint uh, involving the Flint water crisis, and I know you have some feelings about what has gone on. I, I'm just curious, uh, when you look at the Michigan Department of Community Health, or you can now call it Health and Human Services, that's the current name, uh, the name has been changed slightly over the years, back and forth, but it encompasses roughly the same thing. Um, Michigan always had a top reputation nationally, as I understand it, among other states and throughout the country uh, for having a great public health department, uh, health department, including mental health and public health. And I'm just wondering, uh, has what happened in Flint and the state health and human service department's role in it taken a toll on that reputation? Has it hurt Michigan's reputation and the reputation of the department? What do you think? Well, it's it's. Uh, I can remember many times when I was the uh, health officer of the state dealing with anthrax, measles, hepatitis, TB, Legionnaire, HIV, meningitis, and and we have some of the best epidemiologists, and I think it should be comfort to people to know that, not only at the county level, the state level, and the, these, these are professional people, well-trained, who are scientists in their approach. And, and to have the, the political charges against the department, including some of the lead epidemiologists charged with manslaughter, sent a, a chill uh, of risk aversion throughout not only Michigan but other states as well. And I was glad to see that when some of the legal posturing began, that national organizations like the... Uh, territorial officers, the health officers, uh, foundations. Many people came in with amicus briefs saying what's going on in Michigan is sending a chill throughout the whole United States about people's pacing themselves to make the right decision based on scientific facts. Well, you know, there seems to be a lust uh, in Flint among certain people there anyway, and maybe other people at the state level to Make Flint whole. I keep hearing that phrase, make Flint whole. Uh, we want justice. We want people held accountable for what happened. How do you square that demand, if it's valid, and let's say it is, uh, with what you're contending that, you know, frankly, you can't litigate against and prosecute and charge with manslaughter uh, public servants who are trying to do their job and something goes wrong and God knows what the consequences might be, jail time, uh, what? I mean, somehow the two demands here don't seem to square. I, I don't see... Well, I think this is a dichotomy that everybody faces in life. I think if everybody's honest with themselves, they've made decisions or didn't make decisions based upon what they had in front of them or her, no matter what they did in life. And here we had a situation that was very public, very visible, impacted people in a direct way, and, and people by nature want some vindication. But, but I think the frustration comes in who to blame. 
and and I, I don't think we'll ever get to the, the bottom of the story and uh, really thoroughly understand it. That's why I've always been in favor of, uh, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, doesn't doesn't really pay off that well. And I think to really invest in, in the in the in the pipes and the the health of the economy of Flint and uh, make sure that uh, the, there's adequate nutritious food and really do what needs to be done. That that's going to be the long term solution on on Flint, not to blame one person or two persons. I mean, it's just this is not going to work out in the end. Is there a distinction to be made between the uh, alleged poisoning, quote unquote? You see that word used. Uh, a little bit loosely, I think, over the last couple of years, of the general population of Flint or some people in Flint by the Flint River water that was not properly treated. And on the other hand, the um, Legionnaire's disease deaths um, that were experienced by people not necessarily living in Flint at all, living outside the city of Flint, but who had been uh, at one point patients in McLaren Hospital. Is there a distinction between those two events? I think so, and I think the press release of a couple of weeks ago that from the state the licensing department and the Department of Health and Human Services to really have McLaren Hospital participate and cooperate more in regards to some of the Legionella investigations I think is true. I think there's been an argument that most of the Legionella came out of patients who had been at, at, at McLaren and I think what's, what, what, has hist- what historically happens, and you know this, Bill, is that everybody wants to blame the state, where sometimes the decision to switch to Flint water by the city commission and, and, and the authorities that were involved here, how come nobody's ever really looked at that or what went on at the Genesee Health Department and what should they have done before they, you know, turn it over to the state? There's a tendency to just to blame the state, and I think, uh, I don't know where this investigation is going to go, but, uh, you know, by... By, by saying that they're not going to do it without prejudice means that they, they plan to, to leave the cases open and to choose what they want to do from the Solicitor General going forward. Now, that continues to make a lot of people anxious, and I think it's just going to perpetuate the, the legal battle for some period of time, if, if at all. Can you explain to listeners uh, who may not understand it exactly uh, how could a hospital – uh, be responsible for uh, bad water. I'm not going to ask you to answer that now because we're running out of time in this segment, but we'll come back and we'll address that. That's fine. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with Jim Haveman, longtime state health director, record number of years in that position. Jim Haveman, I was just asking you in the last um, segment, um, what is Legionnaire's disease? Yeah, Legionella is a, is a bacteria that uh, it often is, is uh, water-related and I can remember the days when I was working for Governor Engler, we'd find Legionella in standing water, for instance, in uh, those uh, places on top of uh, buildings where they store water that has been stagnant for a while. And uh, and so what, what the suspicion is, you know, it, it, the people that died in uh, in Flint, nobody really died of Legionella. They died of 
of uh, pneumonia or some other uh, disease, like they had chronic illness. But it produces kind of like a, uh, a pneumonia-type uh, uh, illness, and it, it affects your lungs and, and whatever, and people have difficulty breathing, and, and it often affects uh, you know elderly people, people who are compromised as well. So... So if you have a water system in a, in, a, in, a, in a building or a hospital that the water might be coming in might be okay, but then the, the water system within the hospital or the nursing home or water might have been compromised in some way with some standing water, stagnant water, or not good filtering system, and, and people then pick up the uh, bacteria, and then it grows, and uh, they have the impact. How much responsibility does the local health department have for monitoring uh, that sort of potential condition, let's say, in a hospital? The local health department's always on the front line. And uh, in Genesee County, there was really no Legionella in the water that was picked up at any place like nursing homes or Hurley or any other hospital. So it was basically focused on on, on McLaren. And I think uh, that's what the state was responding to. And now McLaren, of course, has pushed back and wants administrative hearing. Then that's their right to do that. But but you know, there's six, seven hundred cases of Legionella that are that are identified and reported to the county and to the state on an annual basis. So it's not that it's just something that doesn't happen on a regular basis. Well, as you know, Attorney General Dana Nessel and her prosecutors have said uh, they're going to renew uh, their investigation or look again at evidence involving the Flint water crisis and who might be culpable and who might be charged in the future. Uh, I think all the lawyers involved saying, well, you're going to have to start from ground zero <laughs> and build evidence, and it's going to cost millions more. Uh, it's going to take a long time. Um, do you see that happening? And if it does, I mean, do you think it's conceivable that maybe uh, the state uh, attorney general might decide, you know, maybe there's some local health authorities that should be culpable and charged? Well, you know, Lancey, pretty well, Bill, and I would keep my eye on the Michigan legislature. What does the Michigan legislature want to do? I mean, how open-ended do they want to be for more, another $30 million expenditure uh, of, of for defense attorneys and for uh, prosecutors? Uh, you got to remember, there's the whole civil suit of Flint that has not been settled yet. This is what Attorney General Nace, Nace was taking responsibility for. She was going to handle the civil, and uh, the Solicitor General Mahmoud was going to handle the criminal. But now the uh, uh, Attorney General Nessel has kind of entered into the criminal discussion about saying, you know, there's going to be people of interest and whatever. So uh, I, I'm, I'm more interested right now, I think a lot of people are watching this, is, is what's the strategy going forward, and do they have evidence uh, that they think they have in these boxes they found? And everybody seems to think the boxes they found that they want to look at have already been discovered and uh, have been uh, gone through and 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 placed in storage. So uh, I, I I guess it's very unclear in people's mind going forward. I don't think it's fair for people who've been charged to to be recharged. And you know when is it just going to stop? Well, we talk about thirty million dollars have been paid out in attorneys' fees and the cost of prosecution over the last couple of years. Uh, but you know what? That's kind of a drop in the bucket compared to, by my count, almost half a billion dollars in federal and state funds altogether that has been appropriated to go to the city of Flint to help it recover, to replace its uh, water you know, pipe system right. over the last couple of years. And by the way, it's not finished. It's still going to be going on, but the money is, I mean, that's half 
half a billion dollars. And by a lot of estimates, there are other communities in the state of Michigan where the water is arguably not as good as Flint's is right now, regardless of what Flint's was like in the past. And they didn't get any half billion dollars. No, so, and I think that's that's the that's the whole discussion going on. And was Flint just a harbinger of our? or kind of a future prognosticator of what's going on with our whole infrastructure in our cities. And you're right. There are places in Michigan where the water levels have been, were tested higher. In fact, people would argue that the water levels for lead were higher in 2011 than they were in 2014 and 15 in Flint. So this is a debate. And it's not sometimes, Bill, I think this is where it gets complicated, is that it becomes such a scientific discussion that common people like you and I, like, going, wow, you know, this is way above our head. And then, then, then the different posturing gets fought out at different levels and and uh, that's where the whole issue of the well there's got to be some vindication and there's somebody's got to be punished but who it's like throwing something against a dartboard when you look at the situation in flint as it stands right now where do you see this going i mean there's some other stuff pending as you pointed out the civil litigation i think there's something involving the environmental protection agency uh and where do you see this uh headed well when I've asked the lawyers and the people involved, everybody is basically saying, let's just take a deep breath and let's kind of figure out what's what's going on and, and let's kind of wait to see kind of who makes the first move because people, uh, especially the Solicitor General, Mike Mood and Kim Worthy, who's a Wayne County prosecutor who are involved in this, have have pretty well not said anything. Uh, I think a lot of people are focused on uh, this community meeting that's coming up and and what will be gained from that, I don't know, but at least uh, they're saying that then they're going to make a presentation and some further more discussion. So I think this is a day-by-day situation right now. And, and of course, the people that whose charges were dropped, the eight, are still, you know, pretty anxious when the phone might ring that something could be reinstated. And I just don't think that's right. Yeah, I think uh, the community meeting you mentioned is next Friday, June 28th, so we'll see what comes out of that. Um, were you surprised that uh, the Attorney General on the day before Circuit Judge Joseph Farah was expected to make his ruling on whether the charges against State uh, Health and Human Services Director Nick Lyon and uh, Medical Director Eden Wells should be thrown out or not? Were you a little surprised the Attorney General pulled the plug on the whole proceeding and said, you know what? Uh, uh, we're going to withdraw the charges. We're going to stop the music. We're not even going to let Judge Farah make a ruling. Uh, that caught everybody by surprise. I mean, we were anticipating Judge Farah, and, and the general rule of thinking was is that based on the evidence and is that Judge Farah was going to throw out the uh, the manslaughter charges of Nick. And I think, and I've said this before, I, I don't think the uh, Attorney General and the Solicitor General and, and so wanted to have that in the record. And so they did a preemptive strike and just pulled everything so that they have the option of starting over. Well, you know, um, Attorney General Nessel spent a lot of time uh, denigrating uh, former prosecutor Todd Flood and the man who appointed him, a former Attorney General Bill Schuette. Uh, but, you know, when you get right down to it, uh, she could have done that if she just allowed Judge Farah to issue his opinion, throwing out the charges and said, you know what, uh, we, meaning Dana Nessel and company and the Attorney General's office, tried for six months to work with uh, what uh, Todd Flood had given us in evidence and everything else. It didn't work. It was thrown out. It's not our fault. They were incompetent. They could say the same thing that they did uh, when they pulled the plug themselves without waiting for Judge Farah to rule. Well, I think they didn't want to go ahead with additional trials because I don't think they were prepared 
to go to the trial. So they, they, they needed the time and to, to see if there was any better evidence because they had several cases which were, were on their way to trial, which the judge was going to rule on. Plus, you know, Attorney General Dana Nessel said when she was running for the Attorney General that she thought a lot of these charges were political in nature and she would take a review. So I think some of us were even surprised that uh, Special Prosecutor Flood continued working with her until February, you know, that, that he, you know, many expected that he would have been gone January 1, 2019. So this is, this is, you're just kind of wondering what the strategy is overall. And that's kind of what happens when you have a split. You got to remember when, when, uh, when the, uh, when the, when the, when the Solicitor General came forward and said, you know, I want to, there's, there's, there's these, all these boxes that we found. It was a civil side, which is Dana Nelson's side that went into the court and said, you know, that's a bogus argument. There's nothing to those boxes. So you got even disagreement within the same attorney general office, the people who might be two offices away. So I guess we just got to sit back, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about this going forward because I don't think we've seen the end of this chapter yet. That was Jim Haveman, longtime state health director, longest serving in Michigan history, talking to us about Uh, His overview of the Flint water crisis and the prosecutions that went on up there and what's likely to happen next. Thank you so much, Jim Haveman. Thank you, Bill. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with Representative Pam Hornberger, she's a Republican of Chesterfield Township. That's the 32nd House District over there, I think, in Macomb County, but maybe there's a little St. Clair. I don't know. What is in your district, Representative Hornberger, and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here. Um, My district is northern Macomb County, uh, right along uh, the north end of Lake St. Clair. And then um, a big piece of St. Clair County, so lots of townships, one big city, uh, uh, one big city, city of New Baltimore. So that's that's my right. district over here on the east side of the state. Pretty interesting. Um, you uh, have been involved in a lot of different issues. Uh, you've been on the show before, but you've got something going on with the state board of education. Um, wh- what are you up to? Tell us about it. So last term, uh, Representative Kelly had a resolution, and I've taken it up again this term. Um, It came from a recommendation from uh, 21st Century Michigan Education Commission report, Um, um, and it just found, and I see this as a former educator, that um, various uh, education-related functions performed by the governor, the legislature, the MDE, the state school board, have just resulted in um, a very fragmented approach in education in Michigan, and I think pretty much we can all see that from the results that we're getting nationally. Education's at the bottom in Michigan nationally, and um, this resolution will create some accountability in education, which I think is one of the keys in us turning education around in our state. Well, tell us mechanically exactly what would your proposal do? So this proposal would actually do away with the state school board. It would give the governor the direct appointment of the person who's in charge of the Department of Education. Currently, the elected state school board, um, which is elected by voters, and I bet most of those voters don't even know who they're voting for. And they're elected elected statewide. 
They're elected statewide. Uh, currently, that school board goes ahead and they appoint a state superintendent of schools, and um, that state super, superintendent of schools runs the Michigan Department of Education, so there is no direct accountability to the governor's office like there is in every other department in our state. Yeah, you know, one thing that's interesting, uh, Representative, uh, back in the day before the current Constitution took effect in 1963, um, there was a position called State Superintendent of Public Instruction, and he or she was elected statewide. I mean, that was on the ballot, along with Attorney General, Secretary of State, Governor, Superintendent of Public Instruction. And uh, the Constitutional Convention in 1961-62 said, uh, we're going to remove that position from being elected statewide. We are going to instead insert this new idea of an eight-member State Board of Education, eight-year staggered term, so that every two years, two members out of the eight are going to be on the ballot, or if they don't run again, their seats will be available and uh, those people will pick the superintendent of public instruction. And, right. and, and uh, you're basically saying, you know what, uh, this is no better than the old system. In fact, maybe it's worse uh, because it, you know, removes any accountability from the governor. Uh, and, you know, there's no direct line of authority and there's fragmented responsibility. So you're basically saying, Let's get rid of the board altogether, and let's not elect anybody statewide. Let's have the governor appoint, you could call it a state superintendent of public instruction or director of the State Department of Education, just like, let's say, director of the State Department of Treasury or, you know, the Department of Health and Human Services or whatever, right? Correct. Our our, our current structure has no bottom line. There's no accountability. We need a governor who's willing to step up and willing to own the education crisis that we're having in Michigan and tackle it head on. Um, We need direct accountability in Michigan. Unfortunately, no one wants to own the education crisis. So so we fall into this, um, you know, it's a mishmash of things where where people are blaming other people and, you know, certain interest groups are saying that money is going to fix the problem. You know, interest groups can demand that we throw money at the problem, but more money poured into education won't fix the problem. We need strong accountability, and we need we need a governor, and, and our governor is a Democrat. I don't care whether it's a Democrat or a Republican. We need a governor who's willing to stand up and say, this is a crisis. We need to fix it. Michigan is not going to improve, you know, further. We're not going to make great gains until we can fix our education crisis. And we've had a lot of people try and step into that void. We've had business the business community trying to try to step into the void. You know, we have teachers unions that are that are in the mix that are, you know, love them. They're trying. But but, you know, I'll argue all day long that the solution isn't pouring more money into the problem. We've had record funding in Michigan. When the last school aid budget we will have record funding again in the 2020 budget. And and, you know, I, I, I've watched the crisis happened. I, I worked it. I taught in it. I, I was a school board member from 2010 until 2016 in a very large district. I've seen every aspect of it. We need direct accountability. Yeah, really, you have kind of a unique background, I think. I mean, you were, as I understand it, you were a teacher in one school district for a long time, and simultaneously, at least part of that time, you were an elected school board member in another school district. Is that correct? 
Correct, yes. I taught in St. Clair County um, for 20, almost 23 years, and then I was an elected school board member in the Lance Cruz Schools in Macomb County, which is um, actually one of the larger districts in the state, you know, almost 11,000 students in the district. So, you know, working with big budgets and seeing some big issues take place and, and, and you know, trying to solve big problems and, and seeing lots of money, you know, going in different directions. And I can tell you right now that we need better accountability and we need people that are, you know, that have good supports, good solid supports in the classroom. We need principals that are supported and have good coaching. Um, but money's not going to solve the problem. Okay, let me we ask need, you one, one, more, one more big question, and that is, you and you put your finger on it, you got a Democratic governor, you're a Republican, Republicans control the House and Senate, you have to get a two-thirds majority of the House and Senate to right. uh, put this on the ballot to change it because it's a constitutional amendment change. That's what it is, right? Correct. Uh, this Correct. cannot be done simply by passing a bill. Well, what are no. what are the chances that you can get a two-thirds majority in each chamber to make this happen? Um, you know, we had hoped last term when Representative Kelly ran this that, that it could come to fruition because at that point we had a state school board that was 50, 50% Republican, 50% Democrat. And quite honestly, it's being done under my guise with the best of intentions. I honestly do not care if the governor is a Republican or a Democrat. They they need to have someone accountable to them. Well, you don't you don't care. You don't care. And that's to your credit. But I'll bet you there are a lot of legislators (laughs) who do care. And, and well, if you think about it, who would really want to step up and own that problem? I agree with you. It's no, it's a huge I, problem. It is. I agree. Well, look, right now, I just say the Democrats have gotten a majority back on the state school board. I think it's 5-3. They got a Democratic governor. Even though they've got a Democratic governor and somebody might argue to them, well, you know, what's wrong with giving your Democratic governor more uh, control and responsibility uh, they might say, you know what, the system has really worked pretty well over the years for us, the Democrats. We've controlled the elected state board most of the time. Uh, we've had people in there as uh, state school chief who've been acceptable to the Democratic governors we've had. Uh, why change it? Why change it? Well, it's obviously not working. Look at where we are in education. <laughs> so so under under that, I mean, if, if I was you know, a, a true partisan Republican, you know, and wanted to go after them, I could totally blame them. If you're, if we're going to say they've had the majority on the state school board for, actually, you're right, for, for most of the years that I've been alive, you know, over a century. So, <laughs> hey, we just, we just need some accountability here. I don't care who it is, but someone needs to step up. If, if they want to start taking credit for the, for where education is in the state, then God bless them. Yeah. Do you have any sense from a committee to which your resolution has been referred that you might get a hearing on this? Well, it's been referred to my committee, the education committee. So if I want to give myself a hearing, I'm going to. Oh, you think you will? (laughs) You think you'll do that? Yeah, I think we'll take it up just to shed some more light on the subject. We we really, really need uh, accountability and education in all areas. You know, if if we're, we're working with kids, if we want to make people's lives better because you know we want to provide the best education possible then we we need accountability across the board yeah look representative everything you say has such logic 
But uh, what, that's what worries me. I'm not sure how much <laughs> logic uh, there is in, in the thinking of some of these legislators when it comes to partisan politics. But look, I hope you're right. I hope at least you have a hearing and let's uh, let some sunshine in, get people to testify. Thank you so much, Representative Pam Hornberger from the 32nd House District, Republican of Chesterfield Township. Thank you.